With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Megan Edwards Collins. I am an associate professor in the OT department at Winston-Salem State University and the technology coordinator for the academic education special interest section. I will be your moderator for this call. On behalf of the technology leadership team, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the AOTA Technology Virtual Chat. You can participate in this conversation by telephone and or by computer. To listen by telephone, you can call 724-444-7444 and enter call ID 138131. You can also participate in this call on the web by visiting talkshoe.com backslash tc backslash 138131. Of course, you can just listen to the discussion, but we encourage you to actively participate by submitting your questions for our guest. You can type questions or comments into the chat section of our Talkshoe page. We will also open up the line a bit later so that you can ask questions by phone. Today we will be discussing the topic of the November 2017 quarterly article titled Apps for Health Promotion and Occupational Engagement. AOTA members can go to aota.org to locate and download SIS quarterly articles. Our guest this afternoon is the author of the article, Heidi Bristow. Heidi Bristow is an adjunct faculty member with the Department of Occupational Therapy at Winston-Salem State University in North Carolina. She works as the project coordinator for their community-based occupational therapy program. Heidi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Um, we're going to get right into it. Um, from your perspective, how do you know when it's appropriate to try apps with a client? And what recommendations do you have for introducing apps to clients? Well, I think often observation is the first clue. Patients who are candidates for using apps and treatment Often they're coming to therapy sessions already with their phones and their tablets. Sometimes you see them checking their phones for messages. You'll see them um, looking at their calendars. Uh, those people, or even they mention them while they're talking to you, those, those people are good candidates usually. Um, those can be clues for the therapist to keep an eye out for. Um, during evaluation or even later during treatment, you can ask about their use of electronics, um, especially smartphones and tablets, in their daily life. So if they don't bring it up, feel free to probe a little bit and ask some questions to get the ball rolling in that area. But I would say also, as I said, frequent use of apps is a good indicator. But before you, as you're looking to see what indications this they might have to be appropriate, um, you should also be simultaneously assessing what apps might be relevant. So in that case, I think that the therapist should definitely be familiar with whatever apps they're 
might be appropriate for the patient. So try not to bring up an app that you're not really sure about, you haven't really thoroughly researched. You can go home and research it and then later bring it up during a treatment session or change your goals if you feel like that's a, a good uh, app for them. And so during evaluation, you've kind of got those two, in addition to all of the other things you're doing, you've got those two factors coming together. So you're assessing, is the patient right for this, plus which app would be appropriate for them. As far as introducing apps, um, I really think an em emphasis on the therapeutic use of self is very important. Um, if you've already identified the deficit and you've talked to the patient about it, you can go into conversation about how much they use their their current use of apps on their phone or tablet, how many they use, um, how frequently they use. And then once you get into that, if you see that they still seem to be a candidate using your professional judgment, you can segue right into the use of the app for the therapeutic purpose intended. Um, I think a sample conversation might be, um, I bet you have lots of pictures of your grandkids. Do you have any on your phone? This gives you an idea of how comfortable they are. Then you can observe their comfort level and then continue the conversation if you see it's also uh, positive. You can steer it toward use of apps in their life. Um, and then you can also bring in your app that you have and explain what the practical use would be for them. But again, as therapists, we know people love to talk, so you're going to have to be very careful about how far you let them go down their track. For example, about their grandkids, you'll have to be very careful to steer the conversation where you want it. Okay, lots of wonderful ideas there. Um, you kind of, I think, have addressed some of this. Um, in your article, you do mention the need to collaborate with clients about apps. Um, other than perhaps some of the things you mentioned, do you have any other suggestions for our listeners on when collaborating with clients about the use of apps and how to approach that? Yes. Um, I think your previous question addressed how to introduce the app, and I think that's really a springboard for this question. Um, you're going to want to use the therapeutics use of self for sure. And you should continue the introduction of the app with discussion about its potential use. But a big thing for you right now is to listen to the patient. It's vital. They may tell you they're not interested and you need to just stop. If they're not interested, they're not interested. And they probably are not going to be engaged in your therapy session and it won't benefit them later on. So just listen. Um, they also may like a certain feature of the app, but they're not going to use another feature. So that's a clue for you too. Maybe this app isn't the best fit. Maybe there's one that can be redirected towards something they would use. Or maybe you can tailor that app to exactly what they want. A lot of apps, you know, you can use one feature and leave out another. So that would be um, something to keep in mind as well. Um, at this point in time, the patient may also ask if they can have a family member there for the training. Um, they may explain to the therapist more in detail what they like about it, what they don't. But at this point in time, collaboration is ideal. Um, if the patient doesn't have it set up the way they want, they won't use it. And the whole goal is to make this a long-term solution for them. Um, then you're going to set up the app and you're going to teach the patient how to use it. But at that point in time, you're going to have to return to collaboration again. Because at this point in time, they're using it, they've got it hands-on, they're showing you their familiarity with it, 
And at this point in time, they may tell you they don't like it or they don't like this and they don't like that. They may give you, they may ask you to change some things that you spent time setting up um, or they may give you new information that kind of it changes the whole thing. And that can be very frustrating to the therapist because patients can introduce information that's not previously given that is um, going to change the whole way that you focus on things. So just remember, even though it may be frustrating, it's important that the goal should include the patient's actual use of the app in everyday life. So even if the patient isn't doing it exactly the way you want, if you push ahead with exactly what you want and the patient has to do it that way, a lot of times it's not going to work for them. So if you can modify the use of that app to satisfy both them so they'll continue using it while also meeting therapy goals, that's probably going to be the best idea. So it does involve a lot of collaboration with the patient. And it sounds like ongoing collaboration. Yeah. Okay. Um, switching gears a little bit, in your article you mentioned app clearinghouses, uh, clearinghouse websites as a resource for finding applications. Um, can you explain what um, app clearinghouse websites are and how to locate them? Sure. Um, the article that I referenced in my article was by Bordeaux and colleagues, and uh, they published that art article in the Journal of Transatlantic Translational Behavioral Medicine. And what the clearinghouse websites are, they're central locations and both public, like um, governmental and private organizations review a lot of apps. They can organize them, certify them. Um, they're going to use criteria to judge whether they're usable, whether they function, they're accurate, or whether they're evidence-based. Um, to that clearinghouse is going to allow the user to look at a large collection of apps at once. So it's, it's good for you because you don't have to search for an individual app. And then they're also going to evaluate them toward, for a criteria. So that gives you kind of a, a better idea of what they might do for you. Um, in easier, uh, they're organized, reviewed, and certified. Um, but the clearinghouses in themselves are not called clearinghouses, so it can be really confusing. If you do an internet search, you're not going to get results if you search for clearinghouses. It's the name of a category. So your search can be for health apps, OT apps, medical apps, patient apps. So you can actually just type that in the internet. You'll also get a lot of things pop up. But be careful that the clearinghouses you choose are appropriate. So there's going to be a lot of things out there that people put together. Um, you see them all the time, the top 10, this or that. And you've got to be really um, use your professional judgment about which one is going to be connected with a genuine medical, genuine medical agency, government agency, or another trustworthy source. Um, it's possible to get ideas from some of those top 10 lists or whatever, but make sure that you're really focusing on professional judgment and reliable recommendations. Definitely. Um, and one of our listeners commented in the chat room that um, an app clearinghouse group might make for an interesting community of practice project. And I agree. I think that's an excellent idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, you do mention a few potential app resources in your article, such as you know, the clearinghouse websites that you just discussed. 
Um, which one would you recommend our listeners start out with first? Well, as far as the Clearinghouse website, um, the UK National Health Service has a great resource. Um, the website is app.nhs.uk. That one has a lot of good information on it. Um, iMedicalApps, which is just all run together, um, .com, has a great list as well. They have a good selection of apps for medical providers, but they do have a section for patients as well, which might be helpful. You might have to dig around a little bit because the way they have their website set up, sometimes they'll have their the top favorite apps, and some of them are applicable to OT and some of them are not at all. So you may have to do a little searching in there to find something that is good for you. But it's great because they're recommended. You're going to know that they have some good qualities that are evidence-based, et cetera, that you may need. As far as um, other things, I would definitely say that the AOTA's resource on their website is a great opportunity for OTs to uh, use apps to find ones that would be relevant. Um, their website is aota.org slash practice slash manage slash apps dot ASPX. It's also in um, the AOTA journal, so there's a little box up at the top with that information. Um, another website that I would say might give you some ideas would be otswithapps.com. Um, I, it looks like that's a great resource as well as being a blog, but you're going to, again, want to go through. Don't just take that because it's a recommended website. Don't just assume that every app on there is going to be one that's appropriate and relevant and also evidence-based for our practices. Um, also, uh, let's see, helpline.com, if you search on there, it does have quite a few applications with potential medical uses. They're great places to start. Um, you can also do a simple Google search that just says apps for patients, occupational therapy, apps, etc. Um, and yes, I think that would be the most important information. Okay. Um, do you have any other recommendations for practitioners when searching for apps to use with clients? Um, I would say, as we talked about using professional judgment, go ahead and search for other information about it. Um, try to find supporting research if you can. Uh, if you can find some, definitely get it and do a trial run yourself before recommending it to patients. So make sure that you're very familiar with it, that you identify any potential issues that you might run into. You don't want to be trying to troubleshoot something that you could have prepared for in the middle of your therapy session. Um, if you do find research supporting a similar app, do a comparison. And if you can, use the app that has supported research. Um, also, you're going to need to look for a privacy policy. Make sure the patient is aware of what the results are. Okay. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you just said, aware of a privacy policy? Um, so they're putting health information into an app. So um, oftentimes when you download an app, it asks you what you give them permission to do. Some of them won't actually work if you don't give them access to privacy information about you. So the thing that I would like people to be careful about 
is that um, some of those, some of that information may be able to communicate to a different app, and once that app has the information, people might be able to use it in another way. They may be tracking things about, you know, their health, or you know, some of these apps ask you to put in a lot of information. So you just want to research that as well. Um, sometimes a privacy policy pops up and you can read it. Other times I think you actually have to go to the website and look at it. So I just think it would be important to mention to the patient, since we're medical providers and we're recommending these things, we need to be aware if they ask and just in general to let them know about what's going on with their health information. Very good point. Um, and thank you, um, guest six, for typing in the links that were mentioned by our author. Um, into the chat room. Um, what do you see as the main benefits of using apps with clients? Well, I think, first of all, our society is moving increasingly toward the use of electronics. So the apps seem to be a natural way to incorporate and promote lifestyle change. Um, most individuals already carry a phone or a tablet or a watch, something that is electronic that with them all the time. Um, it's very usual for that to happen now that the baby boomers are getting to be up there in age. They are the they will become the older people and they will have already those electronics with them. So it's going to be kind of a mindset change from a while ago. So whatever the goal is going to be, they're they're going to have the information at their fingertips. So if, if we can incorporate things into electronic use. That will help the patients not lose their handouts, for example, things like that where it, pro it will become and hopefully now a good resource for these patients in, their, in our daily practice. Okay. Um, what do you see as some of the main drawbacks of using apps with, uh, with clients? Well, um, just like any treatment protocol, the apps, really need to be tailored to the individual. So if you find an app that you think is great, but it's not flexible enough to meet the client's need, needs, the app's probably not going to be used. It's going to go unused. So um, in addition, if it's confusing in any way to the client, sometimes you know, you're trying to figure out what exactly the app is trying to do for you or may update something. Or you know, if you see that they're going to be confused in any way, Often they're just when they get home or you know when you leave whatever it is they're going to just say that's more trouble than it's worth. So you need to be very careful about watching their interaction with it, listening to them as far as whether they even think that's a reasonable thing or they'll use it. Um, even sometimes patients may use apps frequently, but they just don't want a complicated technology in that particular area of their life. A low-tech solution may actually fit their lifestyle better. So you need to really take in consideration whether the patient, also, whether the patient keeps their device with them and charged all the time. So if you're giving them a medication reminder app, it's really only going to be successful if they hear the reminder alarm. So a patient who leaves their device at home by accident or goes outside in gardens and doesn't take it with them or goes on a bike ride and, you, you know, you can understand. If they don't have it on them, that becomes a problem. And especially um, if, if that's the case, 
they actually may be more likely to forget. If they're completely relying on that app for reminders, some people just put it out of their minds. They're not going to think about it. And then, you know, their phone may be sitting at home or it may be in the car or they just don't have it on. So those types of things we need to be aware of. So I would say, too, if you feel like your patient's really disorganized or absent-minded, if they have any kind of um, memory loss that you feel like will impact their use of the phone, that's going to be something to take in consideration as well. And even, um, you know, a tech-savvy individual may be in the patient's life that can help them uh, be trained on the device. And if, if we can train them, that may be a good way to overcome some of those problems. Or even a husband and wife, let's say the husband's a little absent-minded, the wife may be there at the treatment session and she may be able to also be encouraged to watch out to make sure that this individual is taking their medications on time or whatever the issue is. To have both people involved would probably be a better idea if you sense there's any kind of uncertainty about whether they would um, have their device with them and charged. Okay. Uh, do you have any examples that you can share of when you have used apps with the client? Well, um, a lot of times using simple apps such as reminder apps work really well for memory loss. There's been MS patients who have mild memory loss. They're still working. You know, they've still got a lot going on in their lives. So just kind of suggesting some things, helping them set up different things for them. That's a very common way to use an app. Um, but some of the other apps are really great. The my Sugar app is really good for patients with diabetes. Um, and also the MediSafe app is great. I really like it. Um, it's gotten a lot of research. And um, it's relatively low cost. And they've got new technology coming out a lot. So that one I think is a really good, a really good app to consider. Um, any particular settings or type of clientele you feel apps really work well with um, or not so well with? Um, I would say that as far as the clientele is concerned, people who really express personal motivation to use the app are going to, your treatment session and your goals are going to be much more likely to be met. Your treatment sessions are going to go well and you're going to feel more confident that your um, your actual intervention is going to work long time, long term. Um, this could be baby boomers who love their smartphones. I've encountered baby boomers who can't be parted and they're all the time on it and that's just what they're going to do for the rest of their life. And um, millennials who use their apps constantly. But make sure that you're careful of stereotypes. Um, I would say there's always people who don't fit the norm. Some younger people surprisingly may not want an, a health app tracking them all the time or they they don't want medication reminders or this that or the other so you just have to be careful and some older people even older than baby boomers may be really savvy on some of this stuff so just keep an eye out make sure you're not putting people in a box and um, again you're going to want to tailor it exactly to their needs um, if you ever have to convince someone of the effectiveness and how it'll help them long term you may have a more difficult time with adherence to the protocol. So I'd say, you know, after you explain it to them and they're not interested, don't push it because you're looking for long-term adherence. 
And if you're convincing them, yeah, they're, they're probably not going to use it long term. Um, it would be a good idea to change the goal and probably focus the treatment set, session in a different area. As far as settings, um, I think apps could be introduced to most settings. I think SNFs are probably the least likely to benefit. Um, inpatient rehab and outpatient settings might work best, but honestly, there's a lot of good mental health apps out there too that uh, would work in a mental health setting. Um, and there's even some pediatric apps out there. I didn't really explore that in my article at all, but that might be an area to look at. It probably would be as far as uh, lifestyle and behavior change um, that you might have to look a little, a little bit harder for a pediatric app. But these kids really, really, really know what they're doing on their electronic devices. So it might be a good good venue to explore. Okay. Um, and how would you recommend that a practitioner get started using apps with clients? Um, well, I would say the first thing you need to do is research. So I gave some good research sources up there. So make sure that you're following guidelines for finding a quality app. If it's well-researched, um, I did mention in my article a resource um, Let's see, it was uh, evaluating and selecting mobile health apps, strategies for healthcare providers and healthcare organizations. That's the article that's in the translational behavioral medicine. And that's a really great, if you want to look, I mentioned it in the article I wrote, but if you want any more information about that, you can resource that. Um, so anyway, so you'd want to research, make sure you follow those guidelines for finding a quality and if possible, a well-researched one. There are new apps coming out all the time, so you're probably not always going to be able to find a well-researched one. And again, that's where uh, professional judgment is going to come into play. Um, if you find a couple you like, you think would be beneficial in your practice, um, just start on those. Spend some time familiar, familiarizing yourself with them. Um, think of situations and diagnoses that would fit well with them. Um, simulate the experience. You could put in fictional information. Use the app like you would with a patient. You can think of questions the patient might ask you, problems that you might encounter. Kind of be prepared because you want that therapy session to go very as smoothly as possible. Then, uh, as we mentioned before, you're going to choose a patient that you feel like is going to benefit and go through some of the steps we talked to talked about from there. Um, I think a therapist's preparation for the experience is going to be most important for long-term benefit to the patient. Heidi? Yes. Are you there? Hear me? Yes.
But I hear you too. with a home exercise program like a video feature on their phone, um, you're going to document both the use of the app and the home exercise program. So you could bill under the exercise charge and document also the education, or um, but just make sure that you have both in there. So your documentation is covering the use of the app, but a lot of times I would just incorporate into the session that you're already doing. It's something like a medication reminder app. I could bill for an IADL charge, which in some places fall under a functional charge or even an ADL charge, but you can also incorporate that as well into other activities. So um, if you have a fine motor, you know, they have a stroke and you fine motor work, you can actually do a fine motor activity. Could place simulated tablets in a pillbox while educating the patient on the use of an app. You could even use their phone for fine motor activities. Um, so you document both the, you know, the IADL charge or just the medication um, education, but you're going to also charge for the fine motor. Um, you could have the patient stand during the education if it's appropriate. Um, and yeah, you can go through and do different charges and incorporate that into another treatment session along with the education. Um, make sure that you document education, but make sure the length of time spent on education is appropriate. So if, you know, they are pretty savvy technologically and you're introducing an app that's really not that complicated, you're going to want to charge as appropriate for that app. So don't fill an entire unit for ed- educating a patient in a, some situations. Don't even build an entire unit for educating a patient briefly 
on using it if they're already pretty proficient in that area. So you're going to want to document it, but you may have to charge for another activity. But if it's more complicated, such as the My Sugar app, make sure this is clear in the documentation. You're going to look. You're going to want to let. Since I'm sure the insurance companies review all of our stuff, but you're going to want to let. The people know that are reviewing the charts that this is a complicated app. This is something that requires more time. You're going to want to mention in there why you're doing it. Um, I think it's always good to say things like, you know, this is going to benefit the patient long term and reduce, hopefully reduce ER visits and hospital stays. Things like that are really good to include in documentation. And you will have to go back and make sure the patient's using it or showing you how to use it. You may have to modify it. So just make make sure that you're not sending multiple long treatment sessions in a row on this. You may have to alternate it between things. You may spend a, you know, a unit going through the app again, but just try not to spend hours and hours on this one app that's probably not going to look real good if somebody's reviewing your chart. And um, don't, again, I'm sure everyone knows, don't use language such as review when you do a follow-up session. You could say the patient you know, is demonstrating or they require further education and make sure that you document why they needed further education. Um, so if you have a goal for Mod I, make sure to document where the patient is functionally at one of the sessions. If you say, you know, that if the patient is not Mod I, then you could say the patient is still supervision for this uh, for this process. They need it for this, this, and this reason. And then that way you can show they're making progress. This is why I'm continuing to go through and work with them on this app. And then make sure the patient is actually progressing towards your goal. If you see their supervision and they're not going to get any farther, then of course you need to discontinue treatment sessions towards that goal. And you need to reevaluate change your goal in that sense as well. Okay, some excellent tips. Um, I'm now on my cell phone. I don't know if it was the talk shoe line I was using or what, but I think the music was gone. I'm so sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. Uh, but again, thank you. Some great, great tips. Um, kind of along with what you were saying, do you have any suggestions or resources for practitioners on how to address the the cost of apps and justify it in their documentation? Um, so a lot of apps are free, and some of them are low cost. I think you know some of the the apps have a free version, and then they've got a version that costs like three ninety nine a month something like that that gives you more options. So, you know, I'm sure that the the premium version of the app is going to give them more options, but you can also kind of address, see where they are um, as far as financial, play, the place they are financially. It may just be that they are really tight financially. They're not going to be able to do the $3.99 a month. But... Um, so you might have to stick with the free version. Um, so a lot of them are low cost and they should be easy to cover, but other ones are not. Um, I do want to go into later the ICAPS um, that connects with the MetaSafe, and that actually is pretty expensive. The iConnect is the is kind of the umbrella for some of this, and it's actually $89.95, so that's pretty expensive. But I would say that a suggestion, I don't know of any insurance companies that are covering this right now. So, 
you know, if, if any of you know whether they are, then feel free to let us know. But at this point in time, I don't think so. In the future, maybe, if we can really get these apps and show how they're really making a difference in the patient's life. But as far as right now, eighty nine ninety five is pretty expensive. One idea I did have is for them to request a birthday present or a Christmas present, if that's something they really want to kind of tell their relatives or their friends, like, if you're going to get me a gift, can you give us some money towards this um, app or whatever? So there may be creative ways that you can think of to help the patient come up with money for that. Um, and one of our listeners is asking, is that $89.95 a one-time thing or is it an annual fee that they have to pay? Um, I believe that it is a one-time thing. Um, the the website that would give you the most information is called MedisafeEyeConnect.com. So that's where you're going to get the information about the cost. And from what I can tell, it's just one, um, one, one fee. I think at, as far as right now, they don't have a monthly subscription fee for the app that connects to it. And I would think that if they want more um, pill bottles, they'd have to order those separately. But as far as the app, it's just a one-time fee. Okay. Um, any other resources you might have um, on how to address the cost of apps or suggestions? Um, those are mostly the suggestions I've come up with. Again, if anybody on the line can think of any other uh, resources, please please share with us so we can all get an idea of where else we might find assistance for the patients. Uh, one of our listeners um, did mention that she, um, you know, she said it's an interesting point about whether insurance companies will cover something like, you know, apps. Um, they said, I know many insurance companies and doctors have their own health tracking portals and apps, but they are limited. Um, and they were wondering if you have any experience with those. I don't actually have any experience with those. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I do have a few other questions, but is there anything additional that you would like to discuss or mention to our listeners? Um, I just wanted to make sure that people are aware, therapists are aware that patients not only need to be able to use the app as it's set up, but they're going to need to know how to change the information as it changes. So especially something like a medication reminder app, that's going to be really important. The doctor's going to add medicines. They're going to take away medicines. They're going to change the doses. So the patient really needs to be aware of how to do that. And, you know, if they're not super aware of that, there really needs to be a family member that's going to be with them long term that can help set that up. So hopefully there would be a tech-savvy person in the family that could go through and help with that. Um, also, there may be updates to the phone, to the app, things like that, that may need to be explained to the patient. Um, and I did touch on privacy policies earlier, but that's going to be an important thing to be aware of. Um, there's FDA-approved devices, and I believe that the MediSafe might want to double check on this, but I think the MediSafe is actually pretty well researched and pretty private as far as the privacy is concerned, which is great. Um, 
because that way you can be more confident because it really does connect to a lot of different apps. So you want to look at not only MetaSafe, but you might want to look at some of the other apps if it connects to those. Um, and also you can just think about, and there's a, in addition to that, a lot of, um, they're talking about doctor's offices and getting health records sent to apps, things like that. So you're going to want to really look at the privacy policies and make sure that the patient's aware of it. You can also, if they're really hesitant for some reason and it's not an app that has a clear privacy policy, um, you can also try to limit the um, personal, personal information that could be identified to them specifically. So you could try to limit that if they're very uncomfortable with some of the other things I think would be, um, would be important. And then I did want to mention the uh, MetaSafe again. I think it's a really great opportunity. I'm hoping that it would be something insurance companies would pay for later, but they've got this app not only talks about medication reminders, but it goes on and starts connecting to other information as well. So um, then not only that, but they started doing the iConnect. So they've got pill bottles right now, you take the top off and it registers in the app so the patient so the patient and family members know that the medication was taken. So I know a lot of us, um, we recommend using pill boxes, so that may not be something that's appropriate for some of our patients, but apparently they're, it, it is Bluetooth, so that's nice too, but um, apparently they're going to be coming up with other devices that would be helpful, so that might be a really good um, thing to keep an eye on later and see how it develops. They have um, the iConnect. They have reminders. They can do email reminders. They can do audio alarms, text messages. And um, I think they can do medication reports as well. So there may be a lot of a lot to explore there. And also just thinking about how to let physicians know how consistent they are with their medications. And of course, we all as therapists know that a lot of times patients don't tell their physicians the correct information. <laughs> so um, it, that would help the physician as well as, as, that, as, um, as us. And it does give a space for journaling and that allows the patient to put down information that might not have a specific place to put it in the app and then they can look back and even if they're at the doctor's office they can say oh yeah on this day this and this happened or I had this symptom especially if it's a confusing you know a lot of our patients that are starting to get a little bit older have so many comorbidities and in addition to that they get side effects from the medication so if they're able to keep a little journal that could help because it could identify oh well I started this new medication and it caused you know these side effects if they're able to pinpoint it on a day. And um, then the caregivers and doctors, I believe they can connect it so that this app will, they can see the real-time reports. Again, I'm not, I'm not really sure they're developing it really fast. So I think it would be important for everyone to go and look themselves and see what the information is as they develop it also. Okay. And I think it's relatively easy to set up as well, but again, that would probably be something that would be a good therapy session just to make sure they know 
what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one important, in my, from my perspective, one important point you've kind of brought up throughout your talk is the importance of kind of doing your research and kind of staying up to date with things um, to make sure that it's working and that you're using the most effective effective apps. Yeah, and in addition to that, I think, you know, we mentioned that some of these apps coming out are so new that there really hasn't been time for a lot of research to be done. So if you do choose an app that you feel like is really perfect for your client but there isn't a lot of research, I'd really keep up to date with then doing research later. Because if there is research that comes out about that app, it would be important for you to know. And there may be suggestions that are better by researchers that, you know, well, this app, this other app is actually does the same thing and it works better. So just, you know, it's easy for us to get into a routine and, you know, well, I've just done it this way for a year and I'm just going to keep doing it this way. So um, I know as therapists, a lot of times we don't have a lot of time, but if we can keep up to date, that's going to really benefit our patients and make our therapy more quality and make us better therapists. Absolutely. Um, I actually, with um, some previous student research groups, have um, you know surveyed therapists on their use of apps. Um, and two things that have uh, come up that I was kind of just interested in your thoughts on, um, and you kind of reinforced this, how it's, you know, applications, iPad use, things like that are wonderful, uh, but it is just kind of one tool that you should use. Oh, definitely. Uh, what? Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? You you agree? Oh, yes, definitely. I would say that, um, again, I'm, I'm emphasizing tailoring it to the patient's, um, the patient's skill level and whether it fits them, but you're not going to want to just rely on the app and just say, oh, well, that's fine, you know, they're, they're going to do that forever. You need to make sure that they're aware of other options for them or they can handle this, the things that your information you're giving them. If their phone is destroyed, you're going to be able, they're going to be able to handle whatever it is that the instructions that you're giving them um, without it. So you're not going to just want to send them off with an app and that's that. But it, it's a tool that you can use, but not an end in itself. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that I've heard from clinicians is that um, some facilities do not allow, you know, the use of apps or, you know, computer tablets, things like that um, at their facilities. Um, if some of our listeners are working in such a facility, do you have any suggestions on how they could um, approach, you know, their supervisor, um, whoever they might need to, to perhaps, you know, allow, allow them to have apps and iPads and other computer tablets um, used as part of therapy? Um, I would say that definitely bringing research up, showing them the current research, where this is going as far as, you know, society and electronics, everything is going towards use of apps and um, iPads, phones, etc. So, I know it's hard to convince supervisors sometimes, but I think it helps if you bring the research there, you explain it to them. And also, if you can give them language that they like. So, for example, um, big hot-button terminology in inpatient re- the inpatient rehab where I work is um, you, w- you want to say things like reduce hospital stays 
or Mm -hmm. things that insurance companies really like to hear. Those are the things that may help your supervisor uh, be more open to that. So if you can kind of weave that into things that they're instructing you to do anyway, I think that and the research, showing them the research would be helpful. And also I think um, depending on the supervisor, you may need to remind them because some people are kind of getting open to it, but they may not say yes. So don't give up. I would say, you know, allow a length of time and then come back, see if they're any more open to it, if they've had any more experiences. Sometimes, too, um, sometimes things will come out that we don't know about, so they may get publication or information not connected with us that tells them that this is a good idea. So I'd say that. And then um, I, I also have seen when family members take initiative. So if the family member brings in their phone and says, can I video the patient doing this exercise? That would be a way to um, maybe, you're not, you're not doing it as a therapy session. You are helping the patient do the exercise or do the you know, tub transfer or whatever it is, and the family member is there videoing it. So there are ways to kind of educate the patient, like I was talking about when you know, maybe they're doing standing balance in the kitchen or whatever, and you can educate them on, you can't have it right in front of you if it's not allowed, but you could also incorporate it as a suggestion, possibly in the middle of other education that you do. So I would say those are maybe suggestions. And if any of you on the line have other suggestions, that would be great too. Okay. Um, I'm interested um, if you have any thoughts on or if you have any experience with, um, you know, collaborating with other disciplines, you know, PT, English pathology, nursing, you know, um, on the use of apps with, you know, clients that you've worked with, or if you have any suggestions on how to do so. Well, I think the one of the biggest collaboration that needs to happen is between the nurses and the doctors. So PT, mm-hmm. I would say yes, speech, but I think the hot, issue is making sure that the information you're getting the patient is exactly what the nurses and doctors are wanting for the patient. So if you're doing medication stuff, you need to verify with the nurse, with the doctor, whatever it is that that you're doing with them, you need to verify that that information is correct. Because, um, you know, when you're doing home health, you may look at the medication bottles, but um, I'm sure you guys know that half the time the patients aren't really sure what's current. You know, it may have changed and they don't remember, things like that. So um, if you can verify the information before you get the patient completely set up, especially with medications or um, anything to do with diabetes, things like that are going to be really important. And even um, if you're doing, there were some exercise apps that I recommended as well. Even if you're doing something like that, you're going to want to make sure that they're in good enough health that you're not going to be uh, pushing them to do something that might be contra- indicated that you don't know about. So just really make sure, especially medically, that the patient is where they need to be to to find that app useful. And for PT, I mean, you know, PT and speech. Um, speech, if you're doing anything with memory and they have speech, I mean, I would definitely try to collaborate with them. They may have great ideas. They may suggest things that they're working on that you might be able to incorporate in whatever app that you're using. And PT as well, I mean, if you're doing exercise, videoing exercises, get them involved. Have them 
you know, so they have all their exercises right where they need it. If you're doing some sort of um, one of the apps that we were working on was for low vision patients and where they could read the PDF files. And if you're doing that, then, you know, you can help the patient get the PT instructions for their exercises or whatever PT has them working on. You can help input that into the app so the patient has that at their fingertips as well. So I would definitely get creative about incorporating other disciplines. I think it's really important that we don't, I mean, it's always important to collaborate as much as we can with all the disciplines. I think that gives a much better therapy uh, experience. I think we have better outcomes. So use that thought and definitely um, try to collaborate in the use of apps as much as you can with other disciplines. But also I would say don't get discouraged. Sometimes other disciplines don't necessarily, you know, they may be entrenched in their way of thinking of things. So don't necessarily get discouraged if you are, if they don't, um, if they don't really take it well and they may have a neg- some negative things to say, don't give up even if they are negative about it. Um, sometimes it takes somebody that thinks outside the box to really start a good movement towards um, new practices and new ways of doing things that are helpful. Some good tips. Um, we do have a listener question, um, wondering if you ever use any of the reporting or output from these apps in your documentation. Um, I haven't. I guess it could be used, but I would, if you did, um, I haven't personally, so I'm trying to think how that would work. Um, you could use some things in your documentation, but again, you're going to want to choose things that, not that we need to document for the insurance companies, but to be honest, the people that read our documentation don't have any kind of medical degree. So if you feel that the information that you're getting is going to help justify what you're doing, that may be something that you want to include. But I wouldn't say you need to do word for word, but if you feel like it's going to explain what you're doing, that therapists coming behind you will be able to understand what you're doing, that it's justified if your manager looks it over, and of course, if the insurance company looks over the chart and you're trying to get an extension for your patient um, to stay or whatever the deal is that you're looking for, um, if, if using that output helps meet any of those goals, then I would definitely say choose something out of it that would meet one of those goals and help you justify what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I, I imagine, too, a lot of it depends on the specific app and what kind of data yes, you're definitely. Kind of looking at. Um, you might be able to track progress and use those kind of numbers in your documentation. Yeah. If there's any kind of numbers or show, showing progress, I would definitely say that's a great idea. Make sure that you can um, show that because Again, that's measurable, and we always want to do measurable things if possible. So that would be a yeah. great way to include that. Absolutely. Um, and this will probably be our last question, unless our listeners have any other questions. If you do, please put them in the to chat room. Um, do you have a few favorite apps that you that you like, either personally or clinically? Um, well. I think that, of course, the easy ones are the reminder and the video, things like that. 
they're very easy to incorporate. But I really, um, I know that I talked about the MetaSafe apps, but I really feel like that is um, an app that's very versatile and it connects seamlessly with some of the other things. And um, then also the um, the Sugar app, I feel like that one is, because it can connect with the glucometer and things like that, um, I think that is a good one to look at as far as um, using it frequently or um, or maybe just appropriate to a lot of patients because I think those two um, issues are probably some of the most that we see. And they also, medication errors by the patients and diabetes, obviously, we know that those are very common and they a lot of times will cause um, recurring um, hospital visits, emergency room visits, and subsequently a decline in health. So I think um, those two would definitely be ones that I would suggest. Okay. Wonderful. Um, well, and I'm afraid we are out of time. I want to take a moment to thank you for being with us today and for writing your wonderful article titled Apps for Health Promotion and Occupational Engagement. Thank you cool. so much for joining me today to talk about your work. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Um, and thank you as well to all who listened and joined us live, either by phone or online, and uh, to those of you listening to the archived version of this virtual chat. If you have additional questions and are an AOTA member, please go to the technology forum on OT Connections to continue this conversation. The easiest way to find the technology forum is to go to otconnections.aota.org, click on AOTA forums, then click on technology. Again, that's otconnections.aota.org, click AOTA forums at the top, then click on technology. If you're not an AOTA member, please feel free to email me your questions at edwardsme at wssu.edu. Also, please look out for details on future virtual chats to be held with authors writing technology-related articles for the SIS quarterly practice connections. Until then, on behalf of the technology leadership team, I'm Megan Edwards-Collins, thank you so much for joining us today. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.